This is a great time of year, and it's a joyful time of year, and I'm happy that you guys can be here um, with us so we can celebrate together. And that's really what a lot of this is for, you know, um, is you might have guessed, especially if you're a visitor here, uh, you might notice we're kind of um, what we call an irreligious church. And I mean that in the best of ways. I mean that um, all the extracurriculars that man tends to put on top of Jesus, um, we kind of try to strip away. And we try to get back to the root, the main idea of just Jesus. And this time that we get together, it's not so much about this, this, this deeply religious moment of Sunday morning, but it really is a celebration. We believe that if you have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus is with you every single hour, every single day throughout the week, that your life is holy, not just a Sunday morning time where we get together is holy, but this is a time where we come together and we get to celebrate together. And that's what I want to really do uh, this morning. Every year, um, as, as a pastor, uh, you're going to preach certain messages, and Christmas is one of them. Every year this, this time rolls around, and you take a look at this story, and you think about what's most important, what do I want to share with people, um, and how do I want to represent this? So it's not just another Christmas sermon, because certainly, um, probably, depending on what your um, background is, some of you guys have sat through Christmas sermons, right? Depending on whatever religion you've you've come through, whatever denomination you might have been part of, um, a lot of us have some sort of Christian uh, beginnings in our life, and we sat through them. So what I do is, is I always look over the story and, and, and look, what does God want to speak to us? And what I want to do... If you have Bibles, you can grab them, you can turn there with me, or I'm going to have the verses up here. But what I want to do is, is first just to begin um, this message, for us to look at this story. Um, and a lot of you have, have heard it before, and here's, here's a problem that we have. Um, there's a saturation of Christian stories in our culture. And when I read this word, you can have a tendency to not actually listen. You just, I know, yeah, Jesus is born. And and it can just kind of roll off your back. But what I need you to do when I read verses like this, especially ones you've probably even heard read before, read along with it in your mind. Maybe even picture it in your mind and walk through it because sometimes we miss really amazing things because we already know kind of the end, you know? And it's like, okay, the details, I already know how it ends. Well, some of the details are so very important for us to look at. So let's read this together. We're going to read a few verses, and I want to talk to you about some specific things out of this. So what we're going to do is start with Matthew 1, starting in verse 18, and we're going to read through 25. And this would be the birth of Jesus. This is kind of the story, okay? Because this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin... She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you stop right there for a second, verse 18. Um, in other Gospels, we actually see the story of God coming and speaking to Mary, where he actually tells Mary. It's not like this was just like all of a sudden she's pregnant and it was a guess that it was by the Spirit. The Spirit came and actually talked to Mary, told her that she was going to carry the Messiah. We continue in verse 19. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Okay, pause. Joseph and Mary were real people. And when Joseph was told by his virgin bride, I'm pregnant, don't worry, it's the Lord, though. (laughs) About the same reaction you would have, guys, right? Sure, it's the Lord. Sure. It says that he was a good guy. Back in this day, here's here's the reality that most of us don't know. In this day, if Joseph wanted to, Joseph could have had Mary killed. He could have said, she's a virgin who's promised to be married to me. Now she showed up and she says she's pregnant. Obviously, she slept with someone else. She's betrothed to me. She's not a good woman. And in that day, they would stone women who were found to do this. Okay? I'm talking about a little bit more harsh times. Joseph was a good man. It said what he considered was, I'm just going to quietly give her a divorce. She can slip away. 
and I don't want something bad for Mary, but certainly I'm not going to marry a woman who's already slept with another man and is carrying someone else's child. Verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And this is what the, the prophet said. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now that, verse 23, is all the way back from Isaiah 7-4. You can read that back here in the middle of the Old Testament in Isaiah. Hundreds and hundreds of years before, a prophet speaking for the Lord said, this is one of the ways you're going to know that the Messiah shows up. Because even his entrance is going to be so grand that you can't comprehend. A virgin is going to become pregnant. And her son is going to be the Messiah. It says, verse 24, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, the story is awesome. It's amazing. Like I said, it, it tells not just of the coming Messiah, but it tells of um, the, the personhood of Mary and Joseph. We see Joseph, a very confused. I mean, can you imagine walking through the story? You see, I mean, Mary, I'm sure, scared, confused, hoping, praying. Joseph, very, very torn, thinking that his, his wife had betrayed him, um, had broken his heart, and then the Lord coming. And, and, and we can... We can dehumanize these characters into simply being characters. But when we step back, we think, wow, I mean, this is an amazing story of faith these two people walked. Very, very often when I've I've preached this message, um, I'm caught up by Mary and Joseph. I mean, the story is just astounding to think of from their perspective. I've taught multiple times about Mary and Joseph and the the idea of them going through with this, specifically the idea of of them dealing with this pregnancy of, of, of Mary basically dealing with, with birthing the, the, the Christ. I can't even imagine what she went through. But this year, I want to direct your attention to um, a smaller character in, in this story. I want us to continue, and I want to, I want to put your focus on um, someone that you, you've probably never really focused on as far as the, the Christmas story goes today. And what it is, is we're going we're gonna to read forward um, to the very next, ver- very next chapter in Matthew 2. And verses 1 through 12, this is is how the story continues. Okay, I'm going to read it. You go ahead and follow along with me. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And this is the prophet's words. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. That verse there if you're wondering, uh, comes all the way back from uh, Micah, if I believe correctly. And, and it's a verse prophesied, again, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. Verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. 
And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. The story um, is often called the, the, the story of the, the Magi, the three wise men. And it's pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, we read this, this Jesus being born story, and, and that's pretty hard to comprehend. But then on the, on the heels of that, right after that, we hear the story of men who literally see a star and are so starstruck that they march a great distance to come and to meet this king. And it seems like this, this is a crazy story. This couldn't possibly be true. How would this, this happen? What I want to do is, is I want to kind of break this down for you so you understand it. And then I want to find the application to our lives. So first and foremost, these, these uh, men, the, the Magi as they're often called, I want to look at them. Um, if, if you're wondering, just a few clarifications. We just sung that, that song, that We Three Kings, right? Right? There's actually some holes in that, in that story, if, you, if you're wondering. Um, first of all, uh, there's probably not actually three of them. By, by old school tradition, they believe actually there was 12 wise men, not three wise men, although there were three gifts. Um, by ancient tradition, they believe there's 12 wise men. And unlike how the story kind of portrays, there's just three men showed up. Um, by all estimates of this time, of this era, of what these men were, being the Magi, being these influential men, probably 12 of them rolled in with lots and lots and lots of people. It wasn't if three men quietly showed up. There would be camels, there would be donkeys, there would be pack mules, there would be servants, there would be all different things. So when it says the wise men showed up, it's not like three guys just walking into town. Most likely, these men's arrival into Bethlehem, a small town, created a pretty good commotion. I mean, all of a sudden, this train of, of influential people and probably richer people than most of those people in Bethlehem had ever seen. You know, fancy linens on these camels and stuff. And all of a sudden, what is going on? This whole train of people coming into Bethlehem. So it kind of changes our picture of it in that. The second thing, although the story is great, and I know you've seen plenty of nativities, the wise men did not show up when Jesus was in the manger, in the cave or in the stable, okay? You know the picture of Jesus sitting there and Mary and Joseph and the three wise men? Wrong. Wrong. It says that the wise men showed up somewhere between one to two years after Jesus was born. We know that for a fact, because what it says is that he talks to Herod, and Herod says, when did you see the star rise? And they tell him, and right after this, because Herod does not want Jesus to survive, he kills all the boys who are under two years old inside of that town. See, what it says is basically the fact that they said, well, it was about a year, you know, 18 months. That was when the star rose. That was when Jesus was born. We know this too because it says they come to Mary and Joseph in a house. It wasn't in the stable. So if you have a nativity scene at home, any of you, and if you have wise men, you have to put them away. <laughs> and sometime around like next August, bring them out. That's when they showed up, okay? So you put, put it back out at like next August and be like, and the wise men have arisen, and, you know, it'd be great. So that's, that's biblical, just so you know, and you're, you're wondering, so you have the right, um, the right mindset. But these wise men, known as the Magi, um, they were very, very influential. By what we know of Scripture, these weren't just average men. They were uh, very wise and most likely very rich as well. That's where the term where they say, we three kings. They believe these men were extremely influential, either priests or kings in their area, people who everyone would look up to. So very interesting that they would, um, they would see this and they would follow it. 
The area they come from would be the area of Persia, which, if you're wondering, is basically modern-day Iran. That would be where they would have been located at, most likely by what scholars would, would guesstimate. And the term Magi, which is something that we don't hear in this story because of the translation that says wise men, um, they were often referred to that. And that word is where we get our word magic. That's where the word comes from. Because these men at this time that were very, very wise and and, and very influential, um, the stuff that they could understand, like seeing a star and traveling thousands of miles, most people said, that's just magic. You know what I mean? That's not comprehensible. That's not understandable. Well, according to these guys, it's not that there was any magic involved with them. It was that they were looking and they saw something that caught their attention. Most likely these men were part of a, a religion called Zoroastrianism. Okay? And ancient religion, but just so you understand, Zoroaster came and they started this. But this religion is filled with astrology filled with looking at the stars for answers and understanding what's coming by, what happens with the different stars. And almost, um, almost comedically, the thing that they thought was the most important thing in their religion led them to something that was completely different. So these men, they were, they were viewing these stars, but the star obviously has to be talked about as well too because this is a very, very intriguing principle that the this, this star shows up. Um, how did they see the star? And then how did they know to follow this star to the Messiah, right? Even if they find the star, you think they're a thousand miles away, they see the star, how on earth do they know, let's follow that star because it's going to take us to the Messiah? Well, because of uh, our culture, culture, excuse me, far removed, um, not many of us know this, but at this time there was something in place called the star prophecy. And it was, it was known by people who were, who were Jews waiting for a Messiah, And it goes all the way back um, to numbers in the Old Testament. I mean, all the way back, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I mean, very early. You guys, just to do the the quick Bible in in a broad brush, right? Creation, the fall, the flood, right? The people of God started from Abraham. They go into captivity in Egypt. Moses comes, right? Boom, Pharaoh, let my people go, parting of the Red Sea. Right, we got a basic view, right? This would be right after this. After they exited Egypt and they were out in the wilderness, okay? God came, he gave them rules and all this. And this was before they had reached the promised land. And the story goes that as they were camping, they were growing in numbers. They were outside of a city called Moab. And the king who was there, who was named Balak, was very, very concerned. The Israelites were large in number. And he saw them camped out on the plains and basically thought, this is going to turn out really bad. There are so many of them. And if they decide to come and take over Moab, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to stop these people. So he calls for all of his priests and he says, find me somebody who can deal with the supernatural. Find me somebody who can bring blessings and cursings. And they find this man named Balaam. Now, some of you guys know Balaam for some reason, right? Does anyone know Balaam? Why? You don't know Balaam, you know Balaam's ass, right? Balaam's donkey. That's the story you guys remember. If you were a little kid, maybe you were taught that story, okay? They go to Balaam and they say, we need you to come and we need you to curse Israel. Moab wants to pay you lots of money. Come and curse Israel. And Moab's, excuse me, Balaam says, well, let me pray. He prays. God says, don't go. And he says to him, listen, I can't go. God told me if I go, I'm not going to be able to curse them anyway. There's no point. They go back, tell Balak, he says, go again. Basically, you know, go and and probably sweeten the deal. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but my guess, right? You're in the middle of a negotiation. You say, hey, will you come for this much? He probably sent them back and said, listen, I'll double it. I'll triple it. Whatever you need, come back. He prays again and God says, you go, but you only say what I tell you to say. 
Balaam comes, and that's on his journey there is the story of Balaam's donkey, which is, is very interesting. You should read that sometime when the Lord opens the mouth of an animal. Amazing, awesome story. He gets there, and Balak says, Now, here, I'll take you to this place overlooking them. Now curse them. And as he begins to speak, speak the word of the Lord, he doesn't curse, but he blesses Israel. Balak says, no, dude, that was the wrong, wrong thing. Let me take you to somewhere else. He takes them to another place, a high place where you can see it. He says, now curse them. He begins to pray over top of them, speak what the Lord says, and it's blessings again. Balak's furious. No, I, I told you I wanted you to curse them. Didn't want you to bless them. Let me take you to another place. Takes them to a third location. Says, this time, try to curse them. He takes and speaks to what the Lord says, blessings again. And Balak is furious. He says, listen, I brought you all the way here not to bless the people who are my enemies. I asked you to curse them. Balak says, listen, all I can do is speak what the Lord says. I don't speak from my own volition. I speak what the Lord says, and the Lord is blessing Israel. And he continues on, and in his fourth prophecy, he says this in Numbers twenty four seventeen, And this is a, a word spoke like thousands of years before Jesus, okay? And this is what it says in verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel, and he will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. This was 1400 BC. And as he he prophesied over Israel, he said a star is going to rise someday that's going to signify the coming of a Messiah. A scepter will rise. A scepter meant somebody who was a king. And he said he is going to destroy everything that stands in his way. Well, this is what they call, like, it's basically a, a two-form uh, prophecy. A, a lot of scripture in the Old Testament, it has, it has two functions. One is to an immediate prophecy going to happen in the next few hundred years. There was somebody who rose and conquered and beat Moab. But the second is a, a long-run prophecy. And the people at this time knew that it both, it talked about a person who was coming, but then after that happened and Moab was destroyed, they said, basically, they held on to this prophecy saying, someday a star will rise and a Messiah will be born. And people knew about this star prophecy. And what I like to think is that these, these magi, although they were Zoroastrianisms or whatever you want to call them, right? Zoroastrians. They weren't people who are followers of the Lord. They loved astronomy and astrology. So they probably opened their, their ears to other stories of other people's, you know, here's what's going to happen in the stars, and this is going to happen in the stars, right? And throughout the time, even though they didn't believe it, they heard from these Jews saying, someday this star is going to rise and it's going to, sig- it's going to signal the coming of the Messiah. And they, they probably had it in the back of their head. People understood this was going to bring hope. And the star that the, the Magi saw, people debate what it could have been. Could it have been a supernova? Could it have been a comet that moved? Could it have been an alignment of stars? I don't know what it was, but it led them to Jesus. So I'm going to wager that it was something rather supernatural. God can use this naturally. He can use supernatural, whatever he wants to, because he's God. But here are three things. Three things I want you to catch about this story as we go through it. Three things when we look at, at how, how these men came about to meet Jesus and then how it might have influence on us when we come to it. We kind of understand the backstory, but here are the, here are the three things I want you to see. First and foremost, God met the Magi right where they were at. He, he met them where they were at. And what I mean is, is this. These men, maybe they knew, maybe they didn't know, but astrology was sinful in the Old Testament. God said, 
don't look to the stars for answers. Look to me for answers. Look beyond the stars to the creator of the stars for your answers. And he told his people, you don't look to the stars. You don't believe in astrology and all that different stuff like that. That's not right. Well, these men were practicing something that was against God's commands. Yet, God met them through this. That intrigues us, right? You think, well, that's sinful. God would never use something sinful. I'm not so sure. You can look at the Bible and say, maybe God will even work through somebody's messed up sinful mind. The Old Testament mentions it. These men were prominent. They were probably respectable men. Probably respectable Zoroastrians. Probably people who they would look up to and say, what do you believe? What do you see? And they would probably pass down information to people below them. But I think what's interesting about this is although they had a, a belief, although they had a worldview they were currently living by, I believe that they weren't satisfied. I believe that although they were, they were staring at the stars for their answers, although they were believing and rooted in Zoroastrianism, that there was, there was something that was still kind of lacking inside. And there's maybe something that was kind of a little bit hollow about their beliefs. And I like to think maybe these men, you know, they, they knew about this prophecy, but maybe they just thought it was a joke, right? I mean, like a fairy tale. Oh, you know, a star's going to rise and, and a Messiah's going to come. Maybe even um, this was like an office joke, right? You know how like your office has jokes about specific things that are, you know, yours, right? If you're in a certain industry. You, maybe this was like every day when they come into the office, you know, and they were looking at the stars, they'd be like, oh, you know, right over there, that's where that star is going to rise when the king of the Jews comes, you know, and like a joke, you know, or like, oh, there's a smudge on your lens, you know, or like, you know, them taking and like taping like a little like star thing to the edge of the microphone, and they look and they're like, it came, and they're like, nah, just joking, you know, like almost like making fun of it and saying like, surely that star will never show up. It's just a fairy tale. It's a joke. It's a whole of the people who are crushed, who are oppressed, you know, and, and it's never going to happen. But I think maybe there was still something in them that was a little unsatisfied. Deep down inside, something missing. And on one day, one evening, when the night came, one of the guys peered into the sky and said, there's a new star that wasn't there last night. There's a new star that appeared on the horizon. Maybe he went to his friends and said, are you, are you seeing this? Yeah. Are you seeing this? Yeah. The star wasn't there yesterday. Maybe they even waited. Maybe the next day they thought, it's just, it's just some sort of fluke, right? And the next night they come and they look and they said, there's a star again. It was never there before. And now all of a sudden it's there. What could this be? And you almost wonder if they had a meeting where they sat down and someone had to voice the first crazy, ludicrous idea of saying, maybe, just maybe, this was the prophecy that we've been joking around about for so long. Where did this come from? Maybe this is the star that actually was promised that would show up and would bring about the, the king of the Jews, the Messiah. Something happened. Because we know that after this conversation, these men apparently believed so much. Something must have happened. I don't know if it was that they had so much faith in astrology they had so much faith in the stars that they thought, surely this can't lie. Even though we don't believe in what it's supposed to say, the star is there. They believed in it enough that they traveled somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 miles by foot back then to come and say, where is the Messiah, the king? Most likely, how, what I think is, if you consider the time frame, they probably left not too long after Jesus was born, right? Right? Traveling between 1,000 and 2,000 miles by camel 
It probably took them like half a year, a year to get there. They probably took, set aside everything they had and said, we're going to travel to the place of this star and we are going to find the Messiah King and we're going to sort this out for ourselves. If he is the Messiah, man, we are going to change everything we believe in. But we're going to figure this out. Deep down inside, there was something I think that was, that was missing. I don't know where you find yourself at this morning, but I think a lot of us walk through the same exact scenario. We're programmed, we're brought up with, we're invested with certain beliefs. And a lot of us, we, we go through our day knowing pretty much what we believe about the world, what we think is possible, what we think is impossible, what we believe is going to happen and not happen. But I don't know about you, but when I walked through that in my life, there was always something that was still a little hollow, still a little empty. I, I think I know what I believe, but man, is there more than this? I mean, is there more to life? Is there a grander conclusion than what I've come to in my mind? That's what I think happened in these men's heart. See, God met them right where they were, where they were sitting. They didn't have to change. They didn't have to become something. He met them just as they were, believing in something that wasn't true, but he met them. Second thing I want you to see is that hard hearts don't see him. Hard hearts don't see him. These Magi traveled between 1,000 and 2,000 miles. They show up in Jerusalem and they go to the, the king because they figure, surely the guy who is, is right here is going to know about this, right? They figure, we're going to travel there. They finally arrive in Jerusalem and they come and they basically say, it says in verse 2, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. We've come to worship him. They figure, surely this guy, I mean, he's right here. He's going to know where this king is. Probably he's already propped up and everyone's already worshiping, right? And I think they figured they were going to come in on the tail end. I mean, they're, they're two years late, right? They figure we're going to show up and everyone's going to be praising this, this newborn king and we're just going to kind of come in on the tail end and see it. And they show up and the king's like, I, I don't know. What do you mean a star rose? We saw the star rose, the prophecy of the Messiah. That prophecy from Micah 5.2, as I'd said. Don't miss this, okay? There were people within 10 miles of where Jesus was born, and they missed his coming. There were people that were over 1,000 miles away who saw it plain and clear. What does this mean? It means that these people who were close, they didn't miss it. They didn't miss it because they stopped looking for it. Their hearts were hard. They weren't looking for a coming Messiah anymore. Herod believed, I am the king of the Jews. There is nobody who's going to take my place. I'm the king. The scribes, the people there, they, they had forgotten and they had turned their hearts away and they were no longer looking for that Messiah prophecy anymore. Their hearts were hard and they couldn't even see it even though they were within a stone's throw of the place where Jesus was born. We know that Herod wasn't interested because in the next few verses, he literally tries to go and he tries to kill Jesus. Jesus, uh, his parents have to flee because they were warned in a dream from the Lord to get out of there before Herod kills them. I don't know, again, wh where you sit at, but there are people who look the part, they talk the talk, they walk the walk, and they seem like a Christian. And they can be some of the most hard-hearted people in the world. And they completely miss Christ. They completely miss Christ because they're so caught up in religion. And I can tell you this, depending on where you're at, I've seen people who seem like they are the farthest from the Lord. Man, the deepest into sin, 
the people who they'd say, well, those people, they're never going to, they're never going to know about Jesus. And I've seen some of the most broken and contrite and open hearts to Christ where people said, listen, I know that I'm not right, but I know this Jesus, that makes sense. You can't judge a book by its cover and you surely can't judge it by how close you stand just to something. How much someone looks like a Christian. How much somebody looks like they have it all together. And it doesn't matter. It's about your heart. So even though they were close, hard hearts can't see him. But, but, but third, what I want you to see about these men, they showed up. They came hoping. Man, hoping, but, but really, I think, questioning. But they left on a different path. Did you notice that? It says in this verse, in 11 and 12, it says that they entered the house, saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After they met Jesus, here's what I believe. I believe they were starstruck by a star. Man, and they walked thousands of miles. But when they met Jesus, they were starstruck by a Savior. And that they gave their lives to Jesus right then and there. That they immediately formed a relationship with God. You know, I think that a few different things. Here's one. Up to that time, it says that they followed the star. They literally followed the star to to Jerusalem. The star moved and led them to Bethlehem, to the house. You notice it says that after they met Jesus, how did God speak to them? It says in a dream. Does that sound familiar? Let's turn one page back. That's how God spoke to Joseph and to Mary in a dream. He spoke to these men just like he spoke to the people who he was entrusting, the Savior of the world. These men, when they saw Jesus, they met him and they were changed. And God could speak to them in a very intimate way then because they started a relationship with God. They opened themselves up to it. And God no longer needed to use some astrological sign, which is what they used to put their hope in. God could speak to them in their dream, just like he spoke to his other followers. And it says they went home a different path. God warned them, man, Herod, he's going to come and he's going to kill this, this child. But I think that this has symbolic meaning as well, too. I believe that everyone, everyone who meets Jesus leaves on a different path. Wherever you come from, whatever path you take to meet Jesus, I think after you meet him, you walk away a different person. You walk away on a different path. You walk away headed towards a different future, that he changes people. He did it then, and I believe he does it still today. God loves people enough, listen, God loves people enough to meet them in the mess they are in and then loves them enough not to leave them there. He loves them enough to reach down into broken humanity, to reach into all the the missteps and the stuff that we walk through and say, I'll meet you right there. You don't got to get cleaned up. You don't got to have it all together. But then in the same sense, he takes hold of your hand and says, listen, I have better for you. No more living in this, in this dumpster. I have a house for you. No more eating this garbage. I have a fit meal for you. And he brings people from where they are into what he knows is best for us. If you meet Jesus, you will no longer walk the same path. You will no longer have the same trajectory. It will change you and you will walk away on a different path. I believe that with all my heart. The last thing I just want to, um, to direct your, your attention to as we, we close out this message. When the, the Magi saw the, the star, they were starstruck. When they saw Jesus, man, they were, they were starstruck. The last thing I want to show you is, is the gift they brought. I don't know if you saw in that, that song that we sung about the three kings, or as I read it, if you noticed, but it says that they brought three, three gifts when they came with them. 
And these men laid down these three gifts, and it was, it was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it says that gold, traditionally, bringing gold meant that, that the person who you were laying that gold down in front of was a king. And that they recognized this is a king who is to be born. And they brought gold and laid it down at his feet and said, this, this gold represents the glory that you're stepping into, the riches that you're stepping into, you're a king. The frankincense is incense. And in this time, incense was very, very influential in worship. And that incense meant that not only was he a king, but they brought incense saying, you're not only a king, but you're a god. That you are God, and we burn incense in front of you in worship because you're not only a king, but you're a god. But the last one's the most interesting. It says that they bring myrrh. And to us, that means nothing, but it's very intriguing. Myrrh was used to embalm dead bodies. Myrrh was used to be mixed with bitter wine to ease pain when people were in torment. Jesus has brought myrrh right away in his life, and the next time we see myrrh in his life is when it's offered to him as he's bleeding and dying on the cross. These men not only brought gold to say that Jesus was a king, they not only brought incense to say, yes, he's a god, but from day one they brought myrrh because they set it down and realized that from the very day of Jesus' birth, his life was meant to be one of pain and sacrifice and suffering. See, Christmas isn't just the story of a baby Jesus being born. That's great. It is the story of, of the most wonderful gift being brought to us. But don't get it twisted. Day one, the story was already written for Jesus, that he was to come live a perfect life and he was to die a tragic and brutal death to pay for all of our sins. It was there since day one. John 3.16, perhaps one of the most noted verses of all time. But listen to it and actually try to engage with it, what it says. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It says that God literally, he gave his Son to this world. He gave him over. Jesus basically he, he went in his own volition, came to earth to live this life of sacrifice and death. And the, sh- the myrrh that showed up, it, it showed what end he would have. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came not to be honored as a little baby Jesus. He came to grow up, to die on the cross, and to beat death. And that's that story. It says that all of us, all of us, because we're born into humanity, we have brokenness and we have sin. And then it says that basically what happens is that sin separates us from God and we have to pay for that debt when we come to the end of our lives. That someday at the end of our lives, we must pay for that debt and we pay for that debt through eternal death known as hell because we are separated from God. And God in his loving nature and his compassion sent Jesus Christ not just to be a baby, but to come and live and die. And it says that Jesus lived this perfect life and that when he went to the cross, he was unable to die because he had no sin. So in order for him to die, he had to carry someone else's sin because he was perfect. He carried the entire sin weight of the world. Everything before, everything after. Every sin you've committed, every sin I've committed, every sin you will commit, that Jesus carried it to the cross and he paid for it with his death. And it's proof positive that it worked. Three days later, he rose from the the grave and proved that he had beaten death 
that he had destroyed the, the bondage that had been in place, that sin must always be paid by death, that he paid it and he arose back to life and said, now, if you trust me, if you follow me, if you believe in my death, someday when you die, you'll do the same as me. You'll die here and you will resurrect again into your second life. So God brought back and reconciled his people. And the story of Christmas, like I said, isn't just the story of a baby Jesus. It's the story of a God who loved his kids us so much that he was willing to send Jesus here to be a sacrifice, a willing sacrifice for our lives. When they met the Magi, and they were changed forever. They met Jesus and they were changed forever, left on a new path. Undoubtedly, they went back and probably scores of other people underneath them who used to listen to them talk about astrology and Zoroastrianism came back and said, we found the true Messiah. No more looking to the stars. We know the Lord that made the stars. So I have a question for you this Sunday morning as we finish out, as we're three days away from Christmas. Are you starstruck? Are you starstruck? Have you seen Jesus and has it changed you? Where all of a sudden he becomes so important. He becomes so central. Just bow your eyes with me for a second. Close your, close your eyes, excuse me. Bow your heads for a second. This is just to give honor to everyone around you. It's just you right now. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing, what your neighbor's thinking. It's just you right now, okay? And here's just what I want to say real quick for you guys. If there's anybody who's never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe you did a long time ago, but you've walked far away from it, and you hear this and it makes sense and you realize, yeah, man, that, that's, that emptiness that that Magi, that they felt where they, they thought they knew, but there was still something missing. Yeah, that's what I feel every day. I need to meet Jesus. I need to be starstruck, and I need to understand who he is. If that's you, no one's looking around real quick. If that's you and you say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus today, I'll just give you right now, just raise your hand over your head real quick. I want to pray for you if there's anybody here today. Go ahead. Yeah, I see your hand, sir. Anybody else today, you just say, listen, I don't have everything figured out, but, but I want to start something today. Anyone else today who'd like to do this? And what I want for you guys here is this, I want to pray for them and then I want to pray for you because I want us to, I want us to be changed by this message. So real quick, let's pray together uh, this prayer. And it's not the prayer, but it's our heart um, for this one person that's going to start a relationship with Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. I am sorry for the sins I've committed. I make you my Lord. In Jesus' name. Keep your eyes closed right now, just heads bowed. God, I pray that you would change us. Lord, I pray that you would make us starstruck. Lord, that we wouldn't walk through this season thinking only about the gifts or only about the holiday lights or only about our family, but Lord, that we would walk away starstruck knowing that we have a God who loved us so much that he graciously sent his son, you, Jesus Christ, here to earth to come to live and to die for us, to exchange his life for ours so that we can have freedom. And we just thank you so much, Jesus, for this, Lord. Man, just, man let us be starstruck. Let us have stars in our eyes as we approach this Christmas that we would never forget the sacrifice of Jesus. To your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. I pray that you have an awesome Christmas. Please come back in two weeks for the beginning of our new year, 2014. Thank you.